Okay, welcome to Hunt, Gather, Talk. I am your host, Hank Shaw, and today we are going to talk about mushrooms, the eating kind. One of the questions I get the most is, how do I get started picking mushrooms? And it's a question that isn't that easy to answer, given the fact that this is a podcast and not necessarily a video, and you don't happen to be standing right next to me, so I can't show you the ins and outs of particular species. But what I want to talk about today is just how to even get started on this adventure. Picking mushrooms and hunting mushrooms is a deeply opaque process for pretty much everybody. If you didn't grow up with it or you haven't spent an enormous amount of time learning it, it can seem like voodoo, but it isn't voodoo. It's just a question of doing your homework, taking it slow, and following some good common sense principles, which I'm going to go into today. The first and foremost thing to remember is that when you are picking wild mushrooms, do not eat any wild mushroom until you are 100% sure of its identity. Let me say that one more time. Do not eat any wild mushroom until you are 100% sure of its identity. There's lots of aphorisms in mushroom hunting, and one of them is, when in doubt, throw it out. And another one is collect many before you eat any. And uh, I like that second one a lot, and I'll go into that in a little bit. Bottom line, it isn't rocket science to collect wild mushrooms. It's not that hard. However, you have to be calm, you have to do your homework, and you have to be very clear-eyed about it. One of the biggest problems I hear from beginning mushroom hunters is the deep yearning desire for whatever mushroom they happen to be holding to be the mushroom that they're looking for. And they can mentally fit what a mushroom should be into what the mushroom that they are looking at is. And it's just that, that that can cause all kinds of problems. And, you know, it could kill you if you're picking the wrong mushroom. So this is, it's, you need to actually just be, you know, just be chill, man. Just accept this as a long process. Now, how do you even start? First thing you want to do, if you, if you can at all do this, and not everybody in the country can, but look for a mycological society in your area. If you have a mycological society in your area, and you can just Google it or, you know, if there's still phone books, do they still have phone books? I don't know. But Google it. Look, you know, mycological society, and then first start with your state, and then go to your region. And there might be one in your own town, for all you know. If you find one, join it. Why? Because mycological societies are there to help. They are all about helping new people understand this crazy world of mushrooms. And and how crazy is this crazy world of mushrooms? Let me just throw this one at you. Mushrooms and people have a more recent common ancestor than people and plants. Isn't that weird? We're more closely related to mushrooms than we are to people. Who knew? Mushrooms are fascinating. Why? Because it's actually mushroom hunting. Now, if I know where huckleberries are or wild walnuts or plantains or whatever, whatever, they're going to be there. You know, unless a storm knocked the tree down or somebody built a condo on my spot, which which has happened, or somebody dumped pesticides on a hillside, which has also happened. You know, I know where these plants are going to be. Mushrooms are not like that. Even places where I know there should be mushrooms, you know, because there's a certain set of mushrooms, which we'll get into, that have, you know, mycological partners. You know, what does that mean? That means that they live near certain trees or certain spots. There are lots of kinds of mushrooms that will come up in the same spot every year. 
Well, but guess what? You don't know which day it's going to be. You're not going to get a memo or an email from the mushroom saying, hey, I'm up. You can guess, and if you're experienced, you have a really good idea of when, sort of, these mushrooms are going to show up. But even then, it's always going to be hit or miss. You know, just the, just yesterday, just yesterday, I was walking down in this park that's near my house, and I live near Sacramento, California. And here's, you know, it's the dead of winter, but that's that means the rainy season. It's cool. It means that's our mushroom season. I kind of knew that the, there's some freaky boletes that come up right around this time. And, I, and I'll get into what a bolete is soon because you, you need to know. And, you know, I was kind of sure that they'd be around. And sure enough, I was. But guess what? I was lucky. It's because I've been to that spot five years in a row. And I know the exact temperature, time of year, and rain level that that particular set of mushrooms need to fruit. Until you get that, it's a crapshoot. But the, enjoy the crapshoot. Enjoy it because guess what? It's made. It's hunting. It makes it exciting and fascinating to find edible mushrooms. So join a mycological society. The whole purpose of them is to educate people about mushrooms. And they have these things called forays. And if there's a foray, sign up for it. And what that means is everybody goes out, you meet at a certain place, and then you pick mushrooms. And then you bring all these mushrooms back, and then the experts will go through all these mushrooms and say, hey, this one is that, that one is the other thing, and these are edible, and I'm taking these, or you know, these will kill you dead. And it's that human-to-human contact that really, really gives you the ability to learn better. You can learn through books. You can learn through online forums. You can learn through websites. And I do. And, and there are very valuable sources. But nothing beats an expert human to teach another human. It's just there's nothing, nothing beats it. So what do you, if you don't have another expert human around? Well, there could be somebody you know or somebody who knows somebody. Try to get that sort of a mentor. And I've mentored a number of people, and I have been mentored by a number of people. So it's one of those things where we always give back to the community. Why? A, because it's fun, and B, because I don't want anybody I know or anybody who I know who knows to get harmed or even killed by picking bad mushrooms. And it's it's just, it's not only is it being a good citizen, it's just, it's good karma in my mind. Okay, so you're all by yourself. You don't know anybody who picks mushrooms. Now what do you do? Well, the first thing I would do is I would go on, you know, amazon.com or your local bookstore or somewhere. You know, your local bookstore is actually a really good place to go because they are going to tend to have a mushroom identification book that is local to your region, and that's what you need. If you are listening to this in the United States, we're a big country, and so there are slight differences between, say, a Porcino on the West Coast and a King Bolete that you might find in Pennsylvania or in New England. And likewise, the Chanterelles, likewise, the Morels. So there's little differences that you kind of have to know, and these books will help guide you through it. If you happen to be listening to me and you are a recent immigrant to North America, please, 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 please buy these books. Please do not rely on your expertise from your home country. It is a terrible idea. This is how people die. Virtually every mushroom poisoning in the United States every year is a foreigner who has just moved over. And they say, oh, this is just like that mushroom that we picked back in Russia or back in Southeast Asia. It'll be great. Wonderful. They eat it and they drop dead. Virtually every poisoning 
fits that description. And it's because people are taking knowledge that is perfectly valid 5,000 miles away, and they're applying it to an entirely different continent. This is a bad idea. But for most of you, you're Americans or Canadians or wherever, and you're dealing with your indigenous mushrooms. Buy the book, study the book. Learn what the edible mushrooms are in your area are. So not everybody has porcini, which is a shame because this is, you know, they call them king bolites for a reason. They are, to many, the king of all mushrooms. But pretty much everybody's got chanterelles. Pretty much everybody has morels. And everybody has some sort of edible bolete. Now, what do I mean by a bolete? B-O-L-E-T-E. It is a big family of mushrooms and of which the porcini is the king. All porcini are boletes, not all boletes are porcini, if that makes sense. So how do you know this family? Well, none of them have gills. They all have kind of a spongy, pore-like substance underneath instead of gills. Those are almost always white, yellow, orange, or red. There are a few exceptions, but in general, those are the colors that you'll see. White is good. Yellow is also usually good. Red is bad. uh, The most well-known red-poured bolete is called the Satan's bolete, and it will send you to the hospital. It is no bueno. But the general rule, if your bolete, you pick a mushroom, it has white pores, it is almost certainly edible. There, and if it's not, it's just kind of meh. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to send you to the hospital. It's not going to make you throw up. It's at the very least meh. But usually it's going to be a good mushroom to eat. The second thing is if it's yellow and you cut it in half and it does not stain blue, then it's also going to be good to eat. Now it may have a weird texture, maybe kind of smooshy. And there's a great, huge variety of these bolis called a suillus, S-U-I-L-L-U-S, that are not very good fresh, but they're very good dried and then reconstituted in pierogies or in pasta sauce. I pick them all year long because they're very, very common where I live. Yellow pores, and they don't stain blue. The blue-staining bolis, say that four times fast, tend to not to be good to eat. There are exceptions, but for now... Follow that rule. Pick. Go out and pick mushrooms. Take pictures of mushrooms. Go on forums. Virtually every state has a mushroom forum. Sometimes it's just for morels, but it's almost always going to include the other mushrooms that are around at the same time. Get to know the mycological environment of where you live. It's not that hard. Just walk around. It's good for you anyway. Take pictures of mushrooms And look at them, really study them, and look at the differences, and look at the environment around them. Are they in grass? Are they under trees? Are they on the forest floor, not necessarily associated with trees? Are they on dead logs? Are they on dead trees? All of that stuff matters. Here's an example. In California, we have lots of eucalyptus trees. They're a non-native tree from Australia that somebody decided to bring here for unknown reasons. Well, there's a very common edible mushroom called a chicken of the woods, which is yellow-orange, and it's a shelf mushroom, and it grows on trees, quite often on dead trees. It is a lovely, awesome, wonderful mushroom to eat, except on the eucalyptus, in which it can give a lot of people a stomach upset. Now, it's not going to send you to the hospital, but it's no fun to eat, 
and you know you you'll be get stomach cramps and maybe throw up and it's just generally not a good idea but but that's a tricky regional thing that you need to know like if you're in California the eucalyptus chicken of the woods not so good to eat and that is information that you pick up by talking to other people in your area it is very very dangerous to be an island when you're picking mushrooms talk to other people reach out and find them even if it's just through the internet Collect many before you eat any. I used that as an example in the intro, and it's one that you really need to take to heart. Why? Because we generally identify mushrooms by morphology, which is basically how it looks. And is that a good idea? Yeah, I mean, it's the best we can do because we're visual creatures. But it's hard sometimes because not every mushroom fits that profile. Not every porcino looks like a classic porcino. Not every... Saffron milk cap looks exactly like a saffron milk cap. Button mushrooms are notorious for being just a little bit different. So you have to collect a lot of them so you can see how they look rotten, how they look a little old, how they look perfect, how they look young. And when you get a good sense of that, it really, really helps when you decide that you're ready to start picking. Take them home. Do spore prints. Well, what's a spore print, you ask? Okay, well, a mushroom is really the fruiting body of the mycelia underneath the soil or in the tree or elsewhere. Now, the actual mushroom is a series of usually white, fibrous, thready things that lives in the medium in which it lives, usually the ground. What we call the mushroom is the fruiting body of that mycelia. So the analog is the mycelium is the tree And the mushroom that we pick and eat is the fruit off the tree. So it's a misnomer to think that picking mushrooms is bad for the environment. You're essentially picking what the mycelium wants to be picked. Why? Because in those fruiting bodies are spores. And that's how mushrooms spread. Some of them spread via the wind. Some of them spread because they stick to you. It's basically they're tiny little things that fall out of the bottom of the mushroom. In the case of the porcini, the bolites, they fall out of those little spongy things. But for most of the cases, they're in the gills. So what you do, if you're not quite sure about a mushroom, now a parasol mushroom is a really good example. There are two mushrooms that look very similar. They grow in grass, and they're very large, and they have a sort of a parasol-looking shape. Well, one of them has green spores, and one of them has brown spores. And if it's the green spore, it's called a lepiota, and it's actually quite poisonous. The brown spored one is a parasol mushroom, and a parasol mushroom is quite delicious. You have to know. Now, you can tell by looking at them if you're good at it, but when you're getting started, you really, really need to learn about spore prints. Now, there's all kinds of colors of spores that come out of mushrooms, and some are white, and that's a problem because if you put a mushroom that has white spores on a piece of white paper, well, how are you going to see the spores? You can kind of, sort of, maybe but you really need to have some colored paper around or even just something that's dark and just sit that mushroom on it. Now, how do you do it without the mushroom drying out? Well, you stick a cup or something over the mushroom cap. You cut the stem off, you put the cap on the paper, and you put something over the cap to keep it moist. And you do that overnight, and that will keep everything fresh enough so you'll see the color of the spores the next day. Well, what is it? Okay, so I got brown spores on something. Big deal. Well, here's the thing. All of those books that you bought when you started learning, they all will tell you what the color of the spore is. So, for example, 
some mushrooms have white spores, but some mushrooms that look just like them have brown spores. Agaricus is a very good example of that. So you can be in a field and you can find lots and lots of button mushrooms. Agaricus are button mushrooms, the same kind you buy in the store. Now there's a zillion varieties of them and they're actually quite tricky to ID for eating purposes. And and this is not, I'm not going to get into it right now because it can be tricky. Um, but suffice to say that if you have an agaricus and you put that cap down and you do the spore print, it's going to have brown spores. Well, there could also be a destroying angel amanita in the same mix. Now, I know the difference between the two because they look a little different to me, but a beginner might not be able to spot the difference. And that literally could be deadly. So what do you do? You do that spore print. They don't have brown spores. They have white spores. So there's a case where spore print would have literally saved your life. Now, do I do a spore print on every mushroom I get now? Nope. But I do when I have a new one. And guess what? Even though I've been doing this for years and years and years and years, I find new mushrooms almost every time I go out. Why? There are 10,000 or more species of mushroom in North America. Think about that for a second. 10,000 different species. I have heard that even the great David Aurora, who literally wrote the Bible on mushroom hunting, you can take him out and he'll be like, I don't know. He might know it's a Rusula or a Lactarius or a, you know, a Bolete, but he may not know the exact species because there's that many. And that's a thing you're going to have to deal with. Whenever I go out on mushroom walks with people, it's not hard for them to pick up a mushroom and point it to me. Hey, what's this one? I don't know. I can identify several hundred edible varieties and several dozen poisonous varieties but there's a whole huge vast middle that you can't necessarily know. You maybe somebody could, but I sure don't. I have other things to do. What you want to remember is that mushrooms, very much like everything else, operate on kind of a bell curve. So what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that maybe 1% of mushrooms out there are worth driving 500 miles or taking a plane trip to go get. That may be your porcini your morels, maybe chanterelles, maybe Caesar's amanita. There, I mean, it, whatever really, really floats your boat. That's that 1%. And on the other side of the bell curve, there are about 1% or 2% that will kill you dead. Gallerinas, certain amanitas. There's a few mushrooms in there that are just bad news and you want to stay away from them. Well, on the other side, you've got maybe 5 or 10 or 15% that are really good edibles. But I'm not going to drive you know, six hours to go pick them. I might drive an hour or two. That's about it. And on the converse side, there are a bunch of mushrooms that will put you in the hospital, but they won't kill you. Then let's go back towards the center. There's a whole bunch of other side of mushrooms that are, oh, you know, they're good. If I find them, I'll pick them. Yeah, that's cool. And then on the poisonous side, they're the ones that are like, oh, yeah, you're going to get the shits for a while and you're going to throw up and you may feel icky, but, you know, you don't necessarily have to go to the hospital. In the center is the vast middle. They're neither edible nor toxic. So they just sort of sit there and they can pass through you and not do much. And then here's the secret thing about it, though. That middle, most of it is unknown. And that's a little scary, right? You know, I mean, certain people, especially chefs, when I talk to chefs, are like, oh, if it's unknown, we could just figure it out. Yeah, you could, but that's a hell of a way to play Russian roulette with your body. So my advice is to stick to the known edibles. There are more than 100 
There are several hundred, in fact, and, and it takes years to learn them all. Learn a new mushroom every year, every week. It's going to be every day if, when you start, but I still learn new mushrooms. I mean, and, and you're going to have that aspect where you, <laughs> I've been walking past that mushroom for years and, oh, I didn't know it was edible. Oh, bummer. Well, now you know. And especially if it's a mushroom that happens to grow up in the same spot, then you will know kind of where to look the next year. And that's a really good way to get started. And there's a, so much more to talk about about mushrooms, and I'm going to interview some experts, and we're going to talk about different regions, and we'll get into it later as the podcast season goes on. But I just wanted to give you a little bit of a start towards the mushrooming journey. I am Hank Shaw. This is Hunt, Gather, Talk. I really appreciate your time, and I hope you tune in again. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot.